On December 2, Mary Highland will present a talk about public, the publication of her book, The Bumpy Road to Assisted Living, A Daughter's Memoir, available on Amazon.com, uh, dldbooks.com, slash Mary Highland, and on bar, db, don't raise your hand, db91. Two six one. Let me repeat that. DB nine one two six one. Mary will talk about why she wrote this book. Discuss some of the lessons she learned in dealing with a parent with Alzheimer's disease, and describe the benefits of self-publishing. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Mary is a retired executive director of the American Council of the Blind of Ohio and the former director of volunteers at the radio reading service in Columbus. She is also published in Dialogue, Red Book, and Chicken Soup for the Parents' Soul. Mary is a graduate of the Ohio State University and holds a BS in social work. Mary can be reached, and I'll let her give the contact info. It's on the newswire, and I can always send it to you if you want it. But at the end, I hope she'll give her contact information. It is my great privilege and honor to rep, to uh, introduce for our special program series of December 2nd, 2018, Mary Highland. Mary, the microphone or telephone is yours. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Bob. Um, it is indeed a pleasure uh, to speak with you all this evening and anybody who's tuning in after the show has been produced. Um, I love to talk about the book that I wrote, um, not only to increase sales, but also to make people aware of it. And I'm especially delighted that it is on Bard. Uh, it took a long time for that to happen. The book was published actually last summer in 2017, and shortly thereafter, I started um, trying to get it on Bard, and it's finally there, and I'm so happy because now my blind friends are able to read it for free. So um, let me just start by saying that I imagine that many of you have already been through the experience of having to deal with an elderly parent, one who might need to go to assisted living or to a nursing home. And that was my experience that, uh, that was the catalyst for writing this book. When my mother was about 90, we had this conversation and went something like this. I'll know when it's time for me to move into a home and if I don't you will tell me and I will go but it wasn't that easy for us uh, I called her every morning because I I live 300 miles away from her I'm totally blind uh, there is no public uh, public uh, transportation um, between my house and her house at the time. She lived in a little town called French Lick, Indiana. Actually, she didn't live in town. She lived about three miles outside of town in a six-room house 
on the top of the hill. It was quite isolated. And she was um, 90. And she insisted on uh, living independently. And up until that time, she was doing pretty well. She had someone come in and clean uh, occasionally. And she had lots of friends who would come and get her because as she pointed out to me, you know, I did quit driving. And so I will know when it's time for me to move. Well, it is true. She did quit driving. Um, but that was after she almost had a very serious accident. And as she drove around town, people would give her a wide berth uh, because, you know, she didn't really see so well. And uh, so I would call her every morning and ask her how she is. And let's be really, really honest and make sure she made it through the night. And um, every morning she would complain to me about one thing or another. And there were times that she had fallen and had different accidents. And I, you know, we'd have arguments um, almost every day with my wanting her to get um, a um, an alert system. Uh, so that if she did call, if she did fall, she could push a button and somebody would come and help her. No, she didn't want to do that. Um, I wanted her to use a cane, a support cane, and no, she didn't want to do that. I even bought her a really pretty one with with birds and flowers on it, so it would look more feminine. And and it was really funny one time I was. I was down there with, I think, with my daughter, and we had taken her out for dinner. She got out of the car, and we started walking toward the restaurant. And I said, Mom, where's your cane? And she said, oh, it's in the car. Well, yeah, that's kind of defeating the purpose. And then we had arguments about using the transport chair that I had bought for her. And um, going down into the basement, it was a six-room house with a full basement and she insisted on uh, going downstairs to do laundry even though she had a, a cleaning person to come and they would do laundry but she wanted to do it herself and you know there was a time that she did fall down some steps and she broke her elbow and but uh, so we had arguments about that and then there was a visiting nurse that came and um, she taught her my mother was very proud about the fact that the nurse taught her a safe way to go down the steps. Well, I was furious because I didn't want her going down the steps. So that's how it went day after day. And then I started getting calls from her friends. And they would say things like, Mary, you've got to do something about your mother. And I'd say, I know, but I don't know what to do. Well, she really shouldn't be living out there by herself. And I, I knew that, but I was, I was paralyzed. I just didn't know how I was going to manage um, taking care of this issue. There was no assisted living in French Lick. And um, her friends did eventually convince her to move into town when she was 94 and uh, into an apartment building. It was a HUD apartment building. It was not independent living. There were no services uh, for 
elderly people. It's just that a lot of elderly people live there. And it was a one-room apartment. So her friends at church uh, helped her move. And by that, I mean they took everything from her six-room house and crammed it into this little one-bedroom apartment. Because at the time, and nobody really understood this, my mother was unable to make decisions like what should she throw away, what should she keep, what should she move, what does she really need in a one-bedroom apartment? Because so they were, they they asked her, Regina, what do you want to do with this? What do you want to do with that? And so there was stuff all over the place. And I didn't realize it because I couldn't see it. And so the all of this stuff became a huge problem when it came time to finally get her to move to assisted living in Columbus, where I live. And so I have a friend named Eve, who is an absolute angel. I didn't know how I was going to shop for an assisted living place for her to live. And my friend Eve said, I will take you around to the various assisted living places. And we decided on a five mile radius of my house because I was going to have to pay for transportation. I didn't want it to be too far and I wanted to be able to visit frequently. So we, we did. We went to seven different places. She took pictures. I took notes. We put them all together, and I really felt like I had turned in a term paper. Uh, when I narrowed the seven down to three that I thought she would hate the least, and then I sent them, oh, I had them, um, you know, the pictures blown up and the font size very large so she could see it and I arranged them so that she could put them out on a table and compare one with another and then the decision would basically be hers or she would at least she would think that the decision was hers I actually had one that I hated the least and so, of course, I wrote that one up with a little more favorable language. And so she picked the one that I wanted her to. And I proceeded to get uh, the papers signed and go through all of the paperwork. And I, I want to tell you that this is the most grown-up thing I believe I've ever had to do because I was arranging the last chapter of somebody else's life. I was deciding where she was going to live, what she was going to eat, um, you know, when her, when she was going to get her hair done and, you know, all, all of those little details of life I was managing. And it was a scary thing. Well, then, of course, the next step was to go down to my mother's 
and collect her and her belongings and move everybody, everything up to Columbus. And again, my friend Eve was an absolute angel. And she said, I will take you to get your mom. She didn't say, if you can't find anybody else, I'll do it. I mean, she is the kind of friend that every blind person should have. And so I said, okay. Um, so we set a date. We drove down there on a Monday. I mean, I'm sorry, on a Sunday. And Eve took a look around and she said, I can't believe the stuff that's here. There were boxes and crates and bags and stuff jammed into every corner, every closet, every cupboard, up the walls. Uh, it was, it was, it looked like a garage sale in that little apartment. And the sad thing is my mom didn't notice. So I should have realized at that time we're, we're dealing with dementia. So, uh, but I was getting the picture pretty quickly. So I had arranged with um, a moving company called Smooth Transitions uh, to move her. And they specialize in moving uh, people into nursing homes or assisted living. And so they know how to talk to elderly people and how to help them make decisions and so on. So uh, Eve and I packed up mom's uh, things that she didn't want the movers to handle, glassware, wine glasses in particular. Uh, she collected glass. And so Eve was in the kitchen wrapping up all this glassware um, for mom's new apartment while I sat in the living room area and helped mom greet her friends who came by to say goodbye and tried to keep her from getting too emotional. It was a very emotional time um, as we think about it. So the plan was that the movers would come at five o'clock. Well, they got there a little bit early and I said, my mom needs to take her insulin and I want to get her out of the apartment before you come in. So please wait. And they did. They waited until we got her ready. We walked out to the car. They pulled up with a moving van. And they worked from 5 o'clock until midnight packing the moving van. And it was just amazing that it took them seven hours. Because one of the first mistakes that I made was thinking, okay, she's moving from a one-bedroom apartment into a one-bedroom assisted living apartment. It should be pretty easy, you know, pretty equal. But I was oh so wrong. I didn't realize that she had all this stuff. And her friends didn't realize that she was not able to sort out all that stuff once it got moved into the, into the little hut apartment. So the next day on Monday, we um, arranged for uh, the, well, the, the movers left about eight o'clock in the morning. And then we fiddled around. We, we had taken mom to a hotel uh, 
for the night because it, it is about a six-hour drive. So we didn't want to start at five o'clock at night. So we stayed overnight. And the next day, I gave the movers a couple of hours lead time. And then we started driving to Columbus because my plan was for the movers to come, unload, and my daughter and my son met them at the apartment, the assisted living apartment. And their job was to tell the movers where to put the bed, where to put the couch, and so on. And um, they put masking tape on the carpet so that um, it would be a you know real efficient move in. But <laughs> the drivers came to the door of the apartment where Kara and Steve were busily um, making plans, and they said, "There's no way." There is no way we're going to get, and my daughter said, what do you mean? And the driver said, lady, we have a moving van out in the parking lot full of your grandmother's stuff. It's not going to fit in here. And Kara told me a little bit later that she was terrified. What were they going to do? Well, the drivers talked it over and they decided, okay, we can, we just bring it in. We just stack it up and let the kids, you know, figure it out, which is what they did. So they really scrambled to get the bed set up. I wanted the bed made up with my mother's own sheets and quilts. I wanted my mother's towels to be up in the bathroom and the soap that she normally used. You know, so it would be as homey as possible when we arrived and my kids did it. They really had to, they were sweating, but they made it. And it, you know, there was a path to the couch and a path to the bedroom and a path to the bathroom. And that's about it. The rest of the place was filled with too much stuff and too many things. So that was our, our kind of mantra throughout the next week was too much stuff and too many things. So I, I cover all this in the prologue of the book. So if any of you have actually read the book, this is all very sounding all very familiar. But our plan, not knowing that this was going to happen, was to um, unpack mom's things uh, the next day and help her put them away. We were going to take her around to meet her neighbors on her wing of the assisted living home, kind of get her oriented, take her out to lunch, uh, come over and have tea with her in the afternoon, maybe play Scrabble with her. Um, but all of that was just completely thrown out the window because mom had box after box after box of too much stuff and too many things. So my my daughter did most of the unpacking um, while I tried to keep mom entertained and I would take a box and, and work with her on a box. And what do you think about this mom? What do you think about, what do you want to do with this? And so that's what we did throughout the week. And um, if, if whenever I give these talks about my book, I tell people, if you take anything at all from my talk or from this book, 
remember this, too much stuff and too many things. You probably have stuff in your house that you don't even know you have anymore. Uh, you're, it's not just in the basement and the attic and the garage, but in the back of your closet. There's stuff that you really need to clean out unless you um, don't like your children and you want to put them through this. But um, that's what we did. So the book is about how we dealt, my, mostly my mother and me, because my, my daughter doesn't live uh, here in Columbus. She lives in Syracuse, New York. So she had flown over to um, help with this project. And my son uh, works all day. And so he would come over in the evening and hang pictures and put up shelves and things like that. <clears throat> So um, it was a whole uh, family event. But, um, you know, my mother really had to make a huge adjustment. She'd been on her own. She'd been a very independent woman all her life. She had been in control of her life and mine and my dad's. And... uh, she wasn't used to being told when um, there would be breakfast. So, um, I mean, for instance, here's a really good example. She uh, did not want to go to the dining room for breakfast. Um, So she didn't want to go to the dining room. So that meant I had to bring to her apartment milk, cereal, orange juice, cookies, um, other snacks, and and so on. So she could have her breakfast in her room, even though we were paying for three meals a day. But one day, there was a storm called a derecho. And this is a straight, it's like a hurricane, only it's straight. It's very strong winds, and it went straight up the, the the road that where my mother's um, assisted living facility is, and it took out the electricity for five days. And they they had a way they had a backup generator for the kitchen, and they had fans in the hallways. But other than that, um, there were no lights or air conditioning in the rooms. Well, the air conditioning my mom didn't care about because she liked to keep her apartment at about 90. So um, I said to her, uh, I'm not going to bring you milk tomorrow because there's no electricity to keep it cold. You're going to have to figure out something else to do for breakfast. So the next morning, she did get herself dressed and went down to the dining room and she had waffles and bacon. And she said, it was good. So from then on, she went down to the dining room. I said, it took a derecho to get you to go to the dining room. Oh, well, that's, that's the way it goes. But there were other lots of lots of stories like that in the book. Um, A lot of it is um, about the struggles that we had. But there are other parts of it where I ask my reader if they'd like to take a little break from all the serious stuff. And I tell a couple of humorous stories. 
I have one uh, chapter where I talk about my mother before she got old and some stories about uh, some humorous things that, that have happened as a result of my blindness. And I base that on, you remember in Dialogue magazine, the, uh, the article called Abba Pita, and I wrote about <clears throat> some funny things that, that happened to me um, uh, as a result of being blind. And, and speaking of the blindness part, I just want to say that I did, ha- I did write a, a very brief chapter about what it's like to be blind. You know, how do you do, you know, the questions that people ask me, how do you do this and how do you do that? How do you cook? Um, what do you mean you watch TV? What does audio description mean? And, and that, any of you could write that chapter, but I thought it was necessary for my sighted readers just to give them um, a, a glimpse because fact because the blindness is always in the background of this book sometimes it's in the foreground um, and sometimes not in the foreground but it's in the background um, one of the humorous stories that I tell is about my seeing eye dog Dora she is a very athletic dog. And if I don't give her really good exercise before we go on a walk, um, she is dragging me down the street. So every morning I would take her out in the backyard and I would throw the Kong for her. And uh, if you don't know what a Kong is, it's, uh, it's a hard rubber ball that is hollow on the inside and has like rippled edges on the outside. So when it bounces, it bounces real crazily. And she adores that Kong. And she loves for me to throw the Kong out into the backyard. And she tears after that Kong. She runs back to me like her very life is depending on it, like it's her second job. And she drops it in my lap because I'm sitting in a chair. I take the Kong, I stand up, and I heave it back into the backyard. And she tears after it. She runs back and drops it in my lap. And we do this over and over. Well, one Sunday morning. Input search keyword, find the participant, edit, find the participant, type in text, computer. I uh, was throwing the Kong. And the last time I threw the Kong, it didn't go into the backyard. It hit the side of the house, actually the corner of the house. And because of the way it's constructed, it bounced back and hit me square in the face. And man, that did hurt. But um, I soon, for, you know, <laughs> that was the end of the game. We went in the house and I got ready for church, went to church. Afterwards, I went out with some friends uh, for lunch. And somebody asked a question that probably everybody wanted to ask, but were a I'm embarrassed to ask, what happened to your eye, Mary? You've got a black eye. And I, thinking I was so clever, said, oh, you should have seen the other guy. Oh, wait a minute. I am the other guy. (laughs) So um, there's little, you know, vignettes like that that I throw in there just to break the tension of all this serious stuff. And I... uh, have some very touching parts in the book, like the 
when I talk about <clears throat> uh, when she had hospice and there was a hospice music therapist who came. And this was just one of the biggest reliefs that I could have ever imagined that um, then when this woman came, I just, I just felt like, um, I, I don't know. It was just, a, just a tremendous relief that she could, she had a little, a portable keyboard. And by that time, my mother was not verbal, but she, I think she recognized the keyboard, but uh, all she could do is just kind of touch her finger to a key and the music therapist pretended that they were playing a duet. And then she um, started singing some old hymns uh, and I, she invited me to, you know, sing along. And so, and, and my mother couldn't sing, of course. She wasn't verbal at that time. And I got kind of choked up. And she kept playing. She said, okay, you know, get a little closer. Hold her hands. And so I thought to myself, okay, Mary, you got to get over yourself and sing. Pretend you're performing. And I got up right close to her and sang to her and I chose a, a peppy song. It's a it's old standard. Uh, it's an old standard called uh, Ain't She Sweet. And I, I just sang my heart out to her and it was, it was touching. I mean, if I do say so myself, it's one of the touching, most touching chapters in the book. <clears throat> and she asked me, uh, I suggested uh, in the garden because I know all the words to the first verse only. And then the, the music therapist would feed me the words to the second and third verse. And I, it was, it was really a beautiful afternoon. Thanks to her. So I believe that I've sort of talked about this book without any feedback from you long enough so I would love for you to unmute uh, if you wish to make a comment or ask a question. I'm here. Well, Mary, I want to start and tell all of you, you don't need to raise your hand. Just give a name, be recognized by us or me, and um, you can ask your question. Boy, you have a tremendous, you're amazing, and so is your mother, uh, what a great sense of humor uh, that you have. I'm a PETA, I'm very familiar with that. Yeah, yeah. The most popular. I love that. My friend Nolan Crabb was editor of that magazine. He said that was the most popular column in, in dialogue, as good as dialogue yeah. is. Anyway, uh, my question is, though, is, is I know you got frustrated uh, with attitude, uh, parents' attitude towards your blindness. And I, I wanted to share this with you. I don't think you ever change it. I think, you know, when I was 60, my mom sometimes treated me like I was 10 because I was a little boy, not just blind. Right. And uh, yeah. I know you got a little frustrated. I don't blame you. I'll share a secret. I, my mom would want to give me a deep dish. I said, Mom, I'm 18 years old. I don't want one of these anymore. But she says, Honey, it's easier. Yeah, well, for who? You know, 
So we do. They never change. They're your parents. You know Mm -hmm. that. And I wanted you to comment on that. Attitudes just don't change. My dad used to say, he's like that. I said, Dad, I'm not pregnant. I'm blind. Well, you know, what are you doing? But that's what he told people. He's like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did. I did mention that a couple of times in the book in my in the chapter where I I talk about our trip to England. Yes. And my mom would (laughs) reach over and find my silverware and hand me my fork. (laughs) (laughs) And I but I I was I was really proud of myself. I waited until I could I could tell her in a diplomatic way that that was just irritating the hell out of me. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to have more questions, but my wife and I said, what a kind thing Mary did there. She handled it beautifully, very gently. Oh, thanks. In a quiet situation. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see if others have questions. Just give your name and we'll recognize you and ask away. Chris Coulter. Chris? Yeah, um, you uh, said, Mary, that your blindness was caused by RP. Was that what your mother had, too, or was it uh, more age-related? That's a, it was age-related. Um, yeah, she was 98 when she died. So, I, you know, and I didn't realize that she had a vision problem until we went to England, and she was 82 at the time. And she could still read print. And she can still see pretty well, but not real well. And that was very frustrating to me because I had no clue until we were in a an unfamiliar setting. When And she was the one that had to do the seeing. Then I discovered how little she could see. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hey, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Deborah Kendrick. Yes, Deborah. So. Hello. Hello. Um, That's how I got a hold of Mary. I said, can I have this wonderful woman's contact? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mary and I have been friends longer than a lot of people have been alive. And so (laughs) I lived through a lot of this stuff with her and uh, was amazed from afar throughout the process of her researching the the facilities and moving her mother and managing for the whole family to live through the settling in without anybody killing anybody else Uh and, and the process of her book. But one thing that, so it's not a question. It's, it's something that I want to be sure people understand about the book. One thing that um, I didn't hear Mary say at any rate is um, the book has a very interesting format in that, um, interspersed throughout, Mary is a longtime dedicated journal keeper, and interspersed throughout the book are journal entries, which I think give it a lot of depth and also give it so you're not just in this whole process of what was it like to move my mother into this assisted living facility yeah. and get rid of all of her junk. <laughs> which yeah every time i hear you talk about it mary i think about one more box i gotta get rid of oh yeah <laughs> so yeah I, you're right deborah i didn't i i i didn't mention that and that is one of the things that my editor said in her review of my book so thanks for bringing that up 
This is Betsy Grinovich. Yes, go ahead. Betsy? Um, Mary, thank you for talking about your book. I'm going to take a, a little bit different perspective here from I'm 57, already have severe memory issues. Undiagnosed, probably will go undiagnosed because they said that since it's not Alzheimer's and because I don't have my eyes, they can't do a lot of the test. So my kids who range from 18 to, to 29 are already dealing with similar things as you dealt with, not moving me yet, but we're close. Within a few years that I'll have to almost had to move next summer, but they were able because I lose child support. I'm single with four kids. They're all grown now because one's still home. But the they're already dealing with. Um, we're already starting to downsize. But I think the hardest part for mine is that they're experiencing it so young, and the you know they're already talking about. You know we've already taken care of all the power of attorney stuff. We did that a year or so ago. Um, and so it was, I was hoping my the oldest one could come on and hear you tonight, but we left church later, and I had to do it on the way home part way. But I definitely wanted to try to read your book. Um, their goal is to keep me um, in in her yard as long as they can once I do have to move in one of the small granny pod things. Uh, they're going to try to keep me out of a home as much as possible. Oh. But it'll be interesting to read your book because they're facing it young. Um I used to be the one that was very organized, knew where everything was, knew how to do whatever, very independent, went to Africa as a missionary. Uh, all, you know, the, I'm a different person now, and it changes from day to day what I remember. It changes day to day if I remember a task that I've been doing for years and don't remember anymore. There's nothing standard about it. No one can figure it out. And so I think your book's going to help her if they do have to come to that point, but their goal is to keep me near them instead of putting me off in a different place but i'm glad you do stress the part about downsizing because i've already started doing it well yeah, i can think yeah. and know what stuff is um we're oh, already exactly. getting rid of, of boxes of books so they don't have to um but it is it is a it is tough and i'm hoping someday you know my oldest who's who's 29 i'm hoping someday that they can find support for for because i know there's others in my age bracket that are dealing with it but they're just hard to find and so i just want to thank you for writing the book and i did pull it off on audio though i prefer bookshare but they don't have it yet so i will be listening to it just to get your viewpoint but it'll be interesting to see you know compared to what you had to go through you know what they're experiencing because like my 18 year old said mom i don't know you from day to day one day you understand oh. one day you don't one oh. day you remember something one day you don't and for my 18 year old's taking it the hardest because she's living with it she's at home now. she's going to be moving out in june and that's going to be the test if they will see how well i do without her here to uh, you know to see if i can still do it on my own but this was timely for me. It was hard to listen because I, I could relate to some of it. It is hard because it's not the mother you knew. It's a different person. And an example of that is my oldest one has to force me out of the house to go in group situations. I used to love group. I'm very, it was very outgoing, never met a stranger. Now, because of the memory loss and not being able to relate to conversations, an example, I don't even remember her wedding. It was only four years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I don't retain who died, who's, who's dead, who's alive. And mm -hmm. so getting in group conversations now, I avoid them. And she still forces me out because she says, you need to go, you need to go do stuff, whether you want to be there or not. So I'm looking forward to reading your book. Thank you for being honest. It is, a, it is difficult for children, minor experience in it. And 
it's I just appreciate Bob having you on the call. Well, thank, thank you. For you. Being here. Thank Go ahead, Mary. Yeah, thank you. I, I, you know, when it, it, it really, I, I am sort of taken aback because I have never had somebody in the audience who's actually going through this herself, and um, I apologize if I said anything that was um that that you might have taken the wrong way i you know no you did it, fine yeah. you did nothing wrong uh, uh, okay but i i i applaud you too for for recognizing that you need to go through that your stuff while you still can make those decisions i'm really glad you're doing that and i applaud your 18 year old too, for having the courage to say, Mom, you've got to get out of the house. You've got to do this. It's good for you. Um, I think you're, it sounds to me like you're doing everything that you can possibly do. Yeah, my 18 year old does it too, my 29 year old. In fact, she's dragging me with her to Rochester next summer and she said, You're going. <laughs> I said, I don't want to be in the group. She said, You are going. You're going to go help with a year and a half old. So, you know, that's she, my youngest yeah. one does too. You got to get out, but my oldest one's the one who says, I'm not just saying it, I'm taking you, you're going. Yeah. This is well, Margaret. May I, I ask a question? Let me, say, let me say that this is being recorded. It will be on accessibleworld.org under special program series, and your kids can hear this discussion. And I, and I want to talk to Mary about getting your book on Bookshare. I just did this for another lady, and I have some great scanners. And we'll see what Mary says about that. It should be on Bookshare anywhere blind people can read this. And uh, this is what a story. That's, uh, yeah. So, I, yeah, speaking of Bookshare, um, you know, um, no, I'll back up a little bit. This book is self published um, uh, by Leonore and David Dvorkin. Oh, yes. And David, David sent my book to Bookshare. Uh, you know, last year, but it's not on there. And we're thinking maybe you have to be a member of Bookshare. The people, Mary, the people I use are members and they scan and get it approved and and get lucky. I mean, every book I've sent to them, oh, I bought the book or whatever, they've uh-huh. uh, just taken it. So let's try. <laughs> I hope. All right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's see if there's any more questions, please. Louise here. Uh, Louise Wood. Uh, I know Mary for a long time. Hi, Louise. Hi, how you doing? Yeah, I know Mary from a long time ago, too. And I did read your book on board just a few weeks ago. Oh, wonderful. Now, um, I will have to say that um, Jill Ferris, the narrator, did a really good job. Right, yeah. Um, Except for when she voiced my mother. Oh. And... Of course, she's never heard my mother's voice, and and she made her sound like she was two hundred instead yeah, of yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it it was kind of comical, um, but you know, she did the best she could, never having uh, heard my mother's voice. Right. But also, um, she contacted Leonore Dvorkin to. Um, ask her some questions about how to pronounce my name, for instance, because my name is spelled H-I-L-A-N-D. And so many people say Hilland, um, which is just 
so wrong because there are no there are not two L's in it. It's one L, so it's Island. And um, <clears throat> oh, I don't know. Oh, and Regina. She wanted to make sure that it was the American pronunciation of Regina and things like things like that. She is yeah. a true professional, Jill Ferris. She is. Yes. Uh, any other questions, please? Um, yes. May, this is Margaret. May I ask a question? Sure. Go ahead, Hi, Margaret. Thank you. Hi, Mary. I just read your book, and and I wish I had it available before I had to do this sort of thing with my late stepmother, but um, I, it was very, very good. I, I was wondering if you could tell us briefly how how did the staff in the assisted living yeah, facilities sure. relate to you and you to them, and did they have a problem with their blindness, or what? If that was there, I missed it. It, um, it wasn't there. Um, I <clears throat> The only problem that I had was when I was signing all those papers and the the executive director was sitting at the table with me and he said now this this paper and I you know asked him to read it to me and, and I asked him if I could record it yes, so that I would have it for a reference and he wouldn't let me he wouldn't let me tape record it <laughs> and uh, so um you know now that I'm older and um my and more experienced and my and my filters are <laughs> are not so great. I want to say, why not? I mean, I have a right to have this recorded, but um, that was the only problem. Otherwise, people were wonderful to me. Um, they didn't quite get it that my mom couldn't see, and that because she she faked it pretty well. <laughs> And she also couldn't hear toward the end. She had a really, um, was really hard of hearing. And, and by the, you know, toward the end too, well, by the time she moved there, she, she had stopped driving because she couldn't really see well enough to drive. And she, and then at first she could still read, but it got to the point where she couldn't read anymore. And I tried, um, I'd introduced her to, um, talking books and that didn't work. She didn't get it. And I tried radio reading service and she didn't get that. I mean, she just didn't understand what that box was, was for. So, um, it was, it was difficult for her, but, and you know, like the servers would plunk down the food on the table and then my mom would claim that she never got her salad. Well, it was there. She just didn't see it. And there were, and there was a big uh, board that announced the, all the activities that were coming up. And nobody took the time to tell her um, when things were going to happen. And, of course, I couldn't see it, so I didn't know either. And I, I got pretty frustrated with that kind of thing. But I, I had a really good relationship with the woman that was my mother's housekeeper for her wing. and. Um, she would, you know, I would, I would go over there on Mondays. I like to go on Mondays for a couple of different reasons. And one was that um, this young woman that cleaned my mother's room cleaned it on Mondays. And we had, we would joke around and, and then I would go down to the dining room with my mother and there were tables set for four. And um, often there would be one chair that wasn't being used you know that person might be sick that day or something 
And this uh, young woman would always, you know, um, get me a cup of coffee or whatever. And waitstaff were pretty good, but this this one woman made sure that I was taken care of too. So, and she would help me. Like one day I came in and I and and mom wasn't in the room and Deirdre was in there cleaning. I said, "What'd you do with my mother?" And she said, "Oh, she's at the beauty shop." And she said, well, you want me to help you go through this um, pile of papers on her couch before she gets back? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, let's do that. So, <laughs> yeah, we didn't get very far. My mom came back. We had to, we had to quit because she didn't like people going through her papers. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say uh, before we leave, the, the thing I loved about your trip to England and Ireland was you came to the conclusion, this is my mother's chore. I mean, I would ask questions. I could hear you. I would do the same. Yeah. I see. And my mother always, honey, I can't describe it, where my aunt was like Channel 7 TV. She she gave, told me everything. You know, but my mom just wasn't that good at it. And, yeah. But, you know, but the point is, you realize this is my mother's chore. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Whenever yeah, I got yeah. frustrated with anything, it's never mind. This is yeah. for you. This is for mom. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'll I'll go back someday with somebody that can see. You got it. <laughs> yeah, Mary, this is Alan Lima. I've got a question for you. Yeah, oh, hi. Uh, uh, Who's this? Alan. Uh, okay. Oh, yes, Alan. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, you were talking about your journal entries being interspersed uh, in, in the book and stuff. Are, are those the ones that end with a slash slash when Jill Ferris? Is, oh, yeah. yeah. What is the slash right. slash? Yeah. No, okay. I, I thought that was the case. Yeah. Yeah. It, the slash slash just tells me what that that's the end of the journal when I yeah. heard it. Okay. Yeah. I missed that earlier. I don't know. You probably explained that at the beginning, but I didn't. No, um, I forgot all about it because I didn't realize that that's what the editor had done uh, uh, to indicate uh, that that was the end of the journal, and then we were back to regular, you know, just yeah. writing. That's right. Okay. And she could have just said end of journal entry, journal. but that slash slash what, was what kind of confusing. Yeah. Chris, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what she did on the, um, uh, what the narrow, what Jill Ferris did at the beginning was to explain that. Oh, or, she did. or maybe, okay. or maybe the, the guy who did the introduction did, I can't remember. Yeah. One of yeah. The, yeah. I think she yeah. did. You know, you're right. Mm-hmm. Went out of my mind. Yeah. Went, okay. Another question or two here. Oh, my. You all get an A, the old teacher here. <laughs> go, go ahead. Mary, I want to have you make the final comment almost and give contact information, anything you want to say. And I, again, want to thank De- uh, Deborah Kendrick for helping me find you, even though we saw you on the writer's retreat list. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I want to thank Deborah too. So the final I thank word you, Deborah. is <laughs> You're welcome. Well, so uh, um, I – did somebody? Did somebody else have a question? Okay. No? Okay. Okay. Well, the book is self-published, and I used um, DLD Books, and I I want to thank Leonore in case she um, gets to listen to this as well, and it wouldn't surprise me um, if she did because she takes a real personal interest in all her clients. And we spent many, many hours um, on the phone and via email 
um, making sure that this is what I wanted and this is what she thought would be better and that sort of thing. And it, it took a long time, but I was very happy with the end product. And one example of that is that in a lot of books, when there are pictures or photographs, they like to put them right in the middle of the book, all of them, or at the end of the book. And I didn't want that. I wanted the pictures to go with the stories where they belonged. And so we discussed it. Lynn Leonor explained to me that that is harder to do. It'll take more time, but that's what I wanted. And so that's what I got. And that's one of the beauties of, of self-publishing is that you can make those decisions. And together we picked out uh, the perfect cover uh, for the, the book. The picture on the front of the book is of two hands. Uh, one hand resting on the other, and they are both hands of one is a, an old, I mean, it's just it's too perfect. It's like I, I designed it myself. I mean, it was like an old person's hand and then a younger person's hand, but not a young person. So, I mean, it was like my mom and my, and my hands um, together, and it was just um, really neat. So I, I, you know, I'm not sure that would have been that successful if I had gone through a traditional publisher. So um, my contact information is as follows. My email address is Mary, M-A-R-Y dot Highland, H-I-L-A-N-D at Huawei and that's spelled W-O-W-W-A-Y dot com. Yes, there are three W's in there, W-O-W-W-A-Y dot com. And um, my uh, web address is seeing it my way, altogether, all lowercase, dot com. And that's where my blog is. I don't write it every day. Um, sometimes it'll be three or four weeks before I put up something, but I do try to uh, keep it up pretty regularly because I love, I love to write. It's good therapy for me. And I'm not really, I don't particularly want to give out my phone number. That's all right. Is that all right? That's okay. Mary, on behalf of Accessible World and our special series programs, we want to thank you from the bottom of our heart. You're just a fabulous person. So is your mother. You guys are incredible, <laughs> and your whole family is incredible. Thank you so well, much. Well, thank you so much. Thank okay. you. Okay. Thank you, guys. We appreciate it. We're going to end this, and uh, we thank you for coming. Mm -hmm.